and welcome to the Ascend Television Network and welcome to Second Chances. My name is Greg Hennis and we thank you very much for joining us. If you're watching this program today for the first time and you say to yourself, what is a second chance? Well, here's the best I can tell you. A second chance is something that God has done for each and every one of us because he sent his most precious possession, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And each and every episode of this program, Second Chances, we are so blessed and uh, just just wonderfully um, blessed by our guests that come on this program because each of them have been through some things, some very dramatic, some not so dramatic, but the bottom line is that the connection to everyone is that they've made the decision to live for Jesus. And we have a we have a guest with us today I think you're going to find to be very exciting. His name is Ken Corson, but... Let's put the correct title before it. He's a pastor and uh, recently became a head pastor. Is that correct, Ken? That's correct. Yeah, brand okay. new. Okay. Well, we're going to get to that, but i got to tell you, you have a very, very interesting story to share on so many levels. I mean, we could pick probably one of five or six things and probably have a whole half hour on those things, but I just kind of wanted to put it out there. Um, you know, a lot of times I like to begin our programs with finding out a little bit about our guests, you know, where they're from, you know, were they raised in a Christian home, and then we can kind of go from there, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. Okay, so go ahead. Okay, well, I'm originally from Vineland, and born and raised in Vineland, and my testimony uh, is interesting in that it involves kind of where I was born and raised. I was adopted, and the family that adopted me is from Vineland, so I was born and raised here, and as I went through school, I met the love of my life, my wife, Tiffany. We've been married. We just celebrated 20 years of marriage. So that's been super exciting and a wonderful blessing. And we've raised our kids, Caleb and Grace, right here in Vineland. So you, you, you came to Vineland. You were adopted. Um, a person that's adopted sometimes, you know, will wonder, well, you know, who's my real mom and dad? So first of all, did your adoptive parents ever tell you, hey, Ken, you're adopted. Did that come as a young kid? Did it ever come? You know, tell us the story for those that don't know. Okay. Well, I'm going to begin the story. The story begins in 1975 when a 17-year-old unwed uh, student became pregnant, and her parents decided that she wouldn't live with them anymore while she was pregnant. So the parents of this child ended up having her go down to Millville to stay with the family while she was pregnant. And she ended up giving birth, which was me. And the family that she stayed with was a Christian family. And throughout her pregnancy with me, the family would pray over the womb and pray for me like through the whole pregnancy. So that family knew another family that was interested in adopting a boy. So they were the connection between my biological mom and the family that adopted me. So as I grew up, that family, I have a sister, and she's eight years older than me, and I kind of found out that I was adopted in not the best way. Like they they were having a disagreement in the house, and the outcome of that was me finding out that I was adopted and kind of a not the best way. So I was only probably about five or six years old when that happened. So 
when you found out, were you like, did you always think until that that they were your real parents? Yeah, yeah. So wow. up until that point, I always thought that they were my biological parents, my real parents. And so when I heard that, it was like a shock, deer in the headlights. So I didn't really understand what that word meant when she, actually my sister at the time said that I was adopted. So I had no idea what that meant. So Oh, so your sister's the one that let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, so then wow. everybody had to sit down with me and explain to me what that meant. And that's how I found out. Wow. So you, you find out you're five. You're, you know, you're at a stage in life where you don't really understand a lot of anything. What do you remember about that time? Were you like, were you like oh, no. Were you, like, scared? At that Nervous? age, yeah, that's a great question. I, at that age, I was just not really understanding what it meant, and it was just basically going back to playing with toys. And then, uh, But the older I got, the more difficult it became because I began to understand what it really meant. Mm. And I began to see all my friends. Like, I was the only person that was adopted out of all my friends, you know. So it began, it began to become more of a challenge the older I got. Because the older I got, the more curious I got. I wanted to know, well, who is my mom and who is my dad? Is it my soccer coach? Is it my teacher? Is it my neighbor? So the older you got, the more questions you began to ask. And on TV, by the time I got to high school, a lot of the popular TV shows like Oprah Winfrey, they were doing reuniting uh, people that were adopted with their biological parents. So that really made it even harder at mm. the time. Mm. So... Um your adoptive parents. Now, I know the story because obviously I'm a, I'm a friend of yours and I know you you know very well, but um, your adoptive parents, in particular your adoptive father, number one, you, you took his name, is that correct? You, right. you, have, his, you have his name. Mm -hmm. But he was a, a driving force, if that's the word I think you've used with me off the air, in your life. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's true. So when tell us why. When you grow up adopted, you struggle with rejection and insecurities and really lacking confidence. So as a, from childhood right up until, you know, being an adult, he always uh, was a, someone that was an encourager. So he used words of affirmation. So he had a saying that he would tell me growing up, he'd say, if anyone can, can, can. <laughs> and he would tell me that all the time and when I first started to hear it when I was younger I used to think oh it's so embarrassing and he would say it in front of people in ShopRite and everywhere we went and then as I got older I really appreciated him sharing it and then actually I started to actually believe what he said so I was kinda like a late bloomer growing up in school and so when you start to hear something over and over and over again you start to believe it whether it's positive or negative fortunately for me this was positive so I began to believe what he said, and at that point, it was like an engine beginning to hit on all cylinders. So academically and every other area of my life, I really began to catapult and take off. And it just really speaks to the power of words. The Bible talks about how life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it was a great example of how, of all the families I could have been adopted to, that I'd be placed with a family where... I'd have somebody that would do speak life into me for that season of my life. So I think that was divine. Now, he was, uh, as we just said, he was a, a big force in your life. And, and that remained until, he, I guess, he had some, some, some health problems. And then things kind of really changed. Is that correct? Right. So, so, so share that with us. 
he unfortunately he actually had a severe stroke when I was about a year old so when the family adopted me my family adopted me the our family was doing very well and a healthy family and after he had that stroke it almost killed him he had to learn how to walk and speak again and I my all my memory of him is after the stroke so at that point the family like many families face challenges in life and our family really went through a lot of adversity and a lot of challenges so the family really began to deteriorate and become dysfunctional in a lot of different ways so it's interesting because as I went through life and I went through all those challenges I used to look at all my friends families and I used to think why is my family the one going through all the challenges and none of my friends really experienced this and it wasn't until much later in life after I went to school and I went to college and I began working as a social worker that I began as a school social worker and as the students were coming into my office one after another and I began to listen to their stories it was like re-listening to my life when I would hear one family one student come in and say about his parents being divorced because my parents when I was about seven they ended up getting divorced and then I would they would come in and share other stories of other things in their family and whether it was substance abuse or mental health issues or family conflict it was like I was able to relate to everything they said because I had lived it and experienced it so it was like I had reached a point in my life where God was basically showing me like this is I'm going to take all those experiences and like Romans 8:28 is that we're going to use them for good and I'll be able to now help students see that you know I'm someone that has also experienced some of those things and try to speak life into them and give them hope that they can have a bright future ahead of them even though that they're going through challenges at this moment so you know, obviously, at seven years old, when your parents divorced, you knew that you had been adopted, and then your adoptive parents divorced. So, you know, I, I obviously don't know the feeling because I'm not adopted. But when you're adopted and you find out, does that give you a sense of almost rejection? And then when your parents divorce, your adoptive parents, is that another shot of rejection almost? Yeah, it's real difficult. So, growing up adopted, you think, well, why would someone not want me? So. A lot of people that are adopted, that's a common issue that they have to kind of work through, many people. Uh, you know, you're on the flip side of that, you have a family that loves you so much that they would adopt you and take care of you like their own biological child, but you still have in the back of your mind, you know, unanswered questions. And I got to a point in my life when I was reaching the end of high school where I decided, you know, I really wanted to know who, you know, if I could figure out a way to find out who my biological parents were, I wanted to know. Because the challenge of being adopted and then the divorce on top of that is very hard, especially when uh, a teenager or a child, early childhood, teenage years, it's really hard on a child to go through. So by the time I reached the end of high school, I approached my parents and I said, I'm interested in knowing who my biological parents are. And they actually still had a contact number for the family that connected them to my biological mom. Mm-hmm. So they reached out to that person, and they... The, so they were willing to help you. They were willing to help their me. parents. Yeah, they wow. were. They were, you know, a little hesitant, but they uh, they were willing to help. 
And then they reached out to that family who actually still had a contact number for my biological mom's family. And when they reached out, she was agreeable to meet with me. Wow. So I found her first. And when I met with her, I was blown away because, you know, one, when you see someone for the first time in your life that looks exactly like you, it's, that blows you away. But when I got to hear her story, and uh, it brought a lot of healing for all of us, and it was her, she was with her high school sweetheart, and she became pregnant, and she didn't want to do an abortion or anything like that. So this plan came together where she would stay with this family, and one of the interesting things that she shared was that she was from Italy, and she was adopted also, mm. which was a real uh, shock to hear that she was also adopted. So she was raised in an orphanage by nuns, and then she came here as a young child and learned English. And, and then after a few years of finding my biological mother, I found my biological father. How did you find him? I found him through the internet, right when the internet was taking off. So, so, so what does a person do? They just they, did you? I guess you knew his name, obviously, to search for him. Right. She gave me his name, and I began the search on. They had databases like InfoSpace, and uh, there were ways to look up people's names. And I was going to school in Northern Virginia near Washington D.C. They had the Library of Congress. And I used to go there sometimes and look through some phone books to see if I could find a name and an address. But eventually, I spelled the name the right way, and I got the right phone number. Oh, it wasn't you weren't spelling it the right way for right. a while. I was spelling the name different ways, and then I finally hit it the right way. And then I called the number, and a little girl answered the phone. And I, I thought, oh, this could be maybe a sister. Now, how do you how do you how do you how do you uh, proceed with a phone call like that? Is your is your is your dad there? This might be his long lost. I mean, son. I mean, what do you do? What do you say? That's that's a great question. I would. Uh, when I called, I just basically described. He got on the phone, and I said, you know, this, I'm a student. I basically introduced myself. I'm a student at George Mason University, and, you know, I started to share my life. You know, I was adopted at birth, and I'm, now, Some you know, people might have hung up the phone before you got to the chase, you know? Yes, yeah, it was real quiet. And then uh, <laughs> when I kind of finished my spiel, and I said who I was, why I was calling, it was quiet. And then I heard, I always knew I'd get this phone call. And he said, let me sit down. And then we talked for hours, and then we ended up meeting the next day. On the phone, you just kept talking for hours. Yeah, yeah. So we just talked about everything, you know, a lot of just catching up and meeting each other. And, and you know, that's, I think, the opportunity to be here today. When you think about, you know, how God reunited me with my biological parents, and you think about how when you go through life, you get opportunities or chances to reconnect with people and how thankful I was to the Lord uh, because reconnecting, I was fortunate that I was able to have a positive reunification with both of them because that's not always the case when people are trying to find someone, maybe if it's in a, a situation of adoption and they're trying to find family, you never know what could happen when you find that person. So, But fortunately, uh, it worked out well for me. And then they've been a part of our life now for you know the last 20 plus years hmm. the um, one of the things you share with me many times and, and and I'm gonna there's a reason I want to bring this up if it's okay you had always shared Greg I was a late bloomer you know in other words you were kind of you know you kept to yourself you weren't real vocal kind of guy it was a stretch for you to get up in front of talk talk to people 
But do you think that that has something to do because you, you know, really didn't know who you really were because of all the, you know, not knowing my real parents, you know, why was I giving up? Do you think that had a part of, you know, kind of being a late bloomer as you got the answers? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the answer would be yes. I think it's a combination of nature and nurture. I think by nature I'm quiet and I'm more reserved. I think our personalities are kind of wired a certain way when we're born, but I think everything in my environment when I grew up was such that it just kind of even magnified that preference for me to be that way because there was so much happening in our home growing up, a lot of challenges that I kind of withdrew because of everything that was happening. So I was already wired, I think, to be that way. And then with everything that I experienced, it just magnified that even more. So it wasn't until I got really into probably my college years that I finally started to kind of step out of the boat a little bit, get out of my comfort zone, and really start to blossom and grow. Mm. So, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the program, you, you, we, we obviously put it out there that you're now a pastor. But so let's go back to, you know, you, you now know who your biological parents are. Uh, you, you've talked about your adoptive parents. Uh, you're going through life at this point, and what was the path that you felt at that time as a young guy, okay, that you were going to be on for the rest of your life? What was the path? When I was in high school, I really had no clue what I wanted to do. And I know some kids, when you talk to them, they know exactly what they want to do. They're, I'm going to go to this college and this school to become this type of career and I didn't have really any idea. I The only reason I really started to pursue college, like a lot of my friends were going to college and their, some of their parents would ask, you know, are you going to go to school? Are you going to go to college? And my family was kind of also talking to me about some options too. So I just decided uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be. So my family was pushing me. They're like, you should be a doctor. You should be a doctor. And when you say your family, are you my talking about My adoptive family. Okay, okay. And so I said, all right, I guess I'll try to be a doctor. So I took one semester of pre-med, and I realized I don't want to be a doctor. So <laughs> I changed my major. But that first semester, I uh, talk about second chances again. I, was, I finished high school strong. So I finished high school like at the top of the class, near the top of the class. My first semester of college, I had a 1.4 GPA, so I went from like a 3.7 down to a 1.4, and that was just the way of the classes I took and just being away from home and the situ- everything combined. But one of the classes I took in my first semester was Psychology 101, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. It really helps you understand why people behave the way they do. So I changed my major to Psychology, and then by the time I f- was finishing my degree, I started asking all the graduate students in psychology, what do you guys, what kind of jobs are you guys getting? And everybody said, we, we have to go back and get a master's degree or a PhD because there's really not much work out there. So I began to ask the graduate students that were in a master's program, what kind of jobs are you guys getting? And they said, oh, if we could do it all over, we'd get an MSW. I said, what's that? They said, a master's in social work. They're not hiring a master's in psychology. Everybody's hiring a master's in social work. So. At that point, I changed gears again, and uh, I started to go towards social work, and then I went to University of Pennsylvania and ended up getting my MSW, and I did an internship in a prison for a year, and then I did an internship in a high school for a year in Philly, and that's where I found 
you know, school social work. And I thought, wow, this is really great. I love working with the kids, and this is, you know, really rewarding. So, and I ended up doing that. So God basically, you know, as I took a step, you know, he, he helped guide me to the next step. So it was like I wasn't the type of person that at a young age knew exactly what I wanted to do, but as I took one step, God just kind of one. He revealed his plan for me one step at a time. And sometimes that's how it is for us in life because it takes, you know, you're trusting the Lord. And as we make a decision to trust him and take a step, then he can kind of reveal what the next thing is for us. When I look over my life, I see how each season of my life prepared me for the next season. So it's interesting. Now, I think it was during that period, if, if I recall our conversations um, uh, correctly, that there was a period in there where you made the decision to live for the Lord sometime between college and, and, and going into the school system. Am I right? Yes. Share that with us. So when I started going to school, I began asking more questions like, well, I wonder, because at college years, you're trying to figure out well, what are you supposed to do? What's your purpose in life? So my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, I went to her and I started asking her these questions and she said, and really God used her in a powerful way. She said, I don't know, you need to get a Bible and start reading it. So that's what I did. I got my Bible and I started reading my Bible and I got God opened a door for me to meet with a campus pastor and I made a friend uh, down there at school. I went to that college and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know one person. So I began to meet and make some good friends. God surrounded me with godly people at every stage of my life, every chapter of my life, elementary, middle, high school, college, even to this day. God always put godly people around me to keep me on the right track. And what we did is we began to meet with a campus pastor every week, Bible study. And that was a very significant time in my life because the college years, it was very liberal school, so you could go in a million different directions and that really grounded us and to get into the Word and begin to, you know, we talk about how religion and relationship and the importance of, you know, it's all about relationship and having a relationship with Jesus and having the time to meet each week and start to begin a relationship and get to know God and get to know what He did for me in my life. Uh, those were huge steps that through, a, through a, a period of my life that you're really on the crossroads of life where you could really derail and detour on the wrong road or get on the right track and that was God really put key people in my life to get me on the right track mm. so if you're sitting there saying well I know what happens next he becomes a pastor right after the school system answer's wrong so next career you have and, and tell us how you got into this next career so I began working as a school social worker. I, I realized, wow, school social work is great. So as soon as I'm graduating, a job opens up to be a school social worker. Where? Back in my hometown of Vineland. So God brought me full circle. I went to school in Virginia, then Philadelphia, and then I landed my first career school social worker job in Vineland. I ended up working in the school system for 12 years in a middle school. And a great, great experience, wonderful working with the kids and the staff, the parents, the families, and doing wonderful things. And when we began to have children, uh, Tiffany stayed home with the kids. And I was looking for ways to make some extra money in the summers when school was out. So the principal tried to give me some extra hours. And 
I was doing things from mowing lawns to babysitting people's pets to whatever I could do just to make ends meet so Tiffany could stay home with the kids. And eventually I, I met with someone who said, you know they have social workers in the hospital, right? And they always need help because they're going on summer vacations and they're always short-staffed. So I thought, that sounds like a good option. So I went, applied for a job. They interviewed me and they said, well... We don't really hire people without healthcare experience, but we'll give you a shot. Well, so they hired me as a per diem, which just means you work when they need you. And I ended up working full time every summer because they people were on vacation, and I ended up working on every area of the hospital: surgical, medical, cardiac, oncology, dialysis. And after doing that for a while, you really begin to learn a lot. And then. There became a time in our life where we were deciding: should we stay in Violin or maybe move out elsewhere? Because at this point, I met my biological family. We were thinking: well, maybe we should consider Pennsylvania. And that's where they're located, right? In right. Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. That's the other thing. When I found both of them, they could have been anywhere in the world, and they were both right outside of Philly. They were both close by, mm-hmm. so that was that was interesting. So we started. I started to test the waters and apply for jobs just around the area, and the director at the hospital said, don't leave yet, wait. Uh, if you're looking to possibly for a new position, uh, there's possibly a position here you might be interested in. So a door opened up and I ended up becoming a manager at the hospital for our department. So God opened a door for me and I left. I ended up leaving the school, which was my comfort zone. So there was a great book stretching, that I read. Stretching. There was a big stretching because in a school system job, everybody just likes to work right till they retire and it's the you get in a real comfort zone so to be able to step out of the boat you know there's a great book that says if you want to walk on water you have to step out of the boat so that was a real I would have never experienced the water walking on water experience unless I got out of my comfort zone and that was a big step of faith to leave the school system and take a risk and take a step into a healthcare arena which I ended up working there for 12 years so I did 12 years in the school system and then 12 years in the hospital system before God opened the next door. Wow. We are just about out of time, so here's what I would like to do with you, Pastor Ken, if I could. Can I have you back on our next episode, and we'll continue this, because there's a lot of, there's some interesting things that have really happened in your life that is going to kind of make this whole story really come together. But before we run out of time on this particular episode, Pastor Ken, there are people that are watching this program today that are probably where you were back then, but just really are looking for someone to lead them in the sinner's prayer. So would you be kind enough to do that? Yes. If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, or maybe you did say the prayer many years ago, but you've kind of turned away, and this is now an opportunity to come back to the Lord. If you feel on your heart today that you would like to make that decision, then repeat this prayer after me as we pray together. And when you pray, we pray that you would believe it with all your heart as we confess with our mouth. Dear Lord, I come to you today because I need your help. Lord, I pray and thank you that you came down from heaven and you took all my sins and you died on the cross for me. And Lord, I believe that you were resurrected on the third day 
and you're seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, Lord. And Lord, help me to live from this day forward a life that is pleasing to you, Lord. Thank you for washing me clean. Thank you for setting me free. I need your help, Lord. Thank you for the great plans you have for my life. Help me from this day forward, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Join us again next week. We'll have part two of our interview with Pastor Ken Corson right here on Second Chances on the Ascend Television Network. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have something that you would like to share on Second Chances, well, we would love to hear from you. Visit our website, ascend-tv.com. Click on Contact Us. There's a form to fill out. And in the subject line, just type in Second Chances Guest. And we'll get back to you and schedule you a time to come on this program and share your story.